Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. On this episode of Damsels in the DMs. Hi, Damsels. I'm hoping with your collective business savvy that you'll be able to help me with a huge hurdle. There were three big sales strategy projects that I had outsourced, but they fell through the cracks. The people were referrals from close friends, but the pace of getting things done was totally unprofessional. I know this will take away from a huge chunk of already little time I can spare for dating. Lately, dating has been so meaningful with multiple people. Any guidance would help. Sincerely, jumping hurdles in mind and heart. This message is intended as a reminder that we are not licensed professionals, not psychiatrists or psychologists. If you have a serious problem, please seek professional help. The National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. There's some damsels in the DM. Yes, queen. <laughs> Tell us what's the vibe. Uh-huh. What's the vibe? There's some damsels in the DMs. Please tell us what's the vibe. DMs, DMs, yeah, we see them. Yeah, we read them. DMs, DMs, we don't need them. We just leave them. Please. Yeah. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. I'm Lauren. And I'm Alejandro. We are super, super pumped to have on the podcast today, Ashley Stoyanov Ojeda, the author of Hefa in Training, the business startup toolkit for entrepreneurial and creative women. Lauren, oh my gosh. What were your thoughts on everything that we covered in this week? Oh my God, I just learned so much. And I'm like, I feel like I've talked about so much on the podcast, like how Brian really made me see my career as a, a salesperson, you know, like that how my career is a business, not just um, me bringing a talent. And I feel like if I had had Ashley earlier in life, I mean, just the knowledge that I would have had if I had this book, you know, and the mistakes that I made. But she talks a lot about how she learned from her mistakes to put her experiences together. So I feel like that's a lesson for all of us that sometimes you can really just make lemonade out of the lemons that you're given. Yes, the balance between adaptability and balance itself in our lives across many different facets. I, I was so impressed by her fluidity and also inspired to just, you know, answer some questions that I've had in my own journey as an entrepreneur. And I'm so thankful that the resource that she has published is so widely acclaimed. I mean, even Longoria, there's a word of praise from her. There's all sorts of community leaders and activists. And if you're like me and you have any anxiety around dating and money, then her advice in this episode is going to be life-changing. Let's get into it. So, Ashley, oh my goodness, thank you so much for coming on board and visiting the damsels in the DMs. It's super exciting to have you on. (laughs) I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Ashley, when Alejandro first brought you to our attention, the first thing I noticed is on your website, you have a review from my absolute favorite person, Eva Longoria. Um, So that just goes to show you what an absolute star you are and how this book is just making waves across and resonating with so many different types of people. So truly, it is such an honor to have you on. And we're so looking forward to hearing all of your wisdom. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that that endorsement by Evo is definitely um, unexpected and also just amazing. Uh, I'm a huge fan of her as well. <laughs> amazing. 
There's a whole list of leaders and um, activists that you have these accolades from, in addition to Eva Longoria. I mean, to have that recognition about Hefei and training, like that must feel so rewarding. I mean, aside from the number of books I'm sure that you've been able to sell and the audiences that you've been able to touch with your words. But maybe to backtrack a little bit, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, some background details about what kind of led you to becoming an author? Yeah, definitely. So thanks everyone for listening. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, my name is Ashley, uh, also known as the business Ada Madrina, aka business fairy godmother. That's what my clients have coined me. Um, and I basically, uh, on the personal side, um, I'm from New York, grew up in Queens, um, kind of bounced around after I graduated college. I moved to Portland, Oregon, then back to New York, then to South Florida, and now I'm back in Portland. Um, I love to travel. I'm married and I have a dog who you might hear on this podcast at some point. Um, and professionally, I actually started in the music industry when I was living in New York and throughout college, I was in a series of bands. I was actively performing as a singer songwriter. And when I moved to Portland, Oregon to quote unquote, find myself after college, I was still performing a lot and writing a lot of music and I just kind of wanted to create my own community of like-minded songwriters because there was a lot of talent in Portland, but not really a lot of industry to support it at that time. It's a lot different now, but I just wanted to be able to meet new people and collaborate and share resources because especially as a, as a woman in the music industry, it's a very male dominated field still. And I felt like it was important for us to uplift each other and support each other in, in this way. And so I created a monthly showcase for women songwriters at a local venue. And that initiative turned into a national nonprofit organization called Women Crush Music. In the first year of doing shows, I created a community of over 10,000 people with ongoing events in 16 international cities. And it was- Damn amazing and crazy um and it grew so quickly um you know but at that time you know I'm telling you this and I'm, I'm seeing your reactions you're like wow that's amazing and on paper it looks great but it was actually a whole ass hot mess because at that time I had no business skills the only thing I really knew how to do was promote and talk about what I was doing because I was a media communications leader and I started in music PR and that's why we grew so quickly because we were just getting press and, you know, people were promoting our events and people were showing up and creating this community. And I also worked as a, a community coordinator for Yelp at the time. So it was building this community and also promoting at the same time, but there was no other kind of business structure to it. So sometime between year two and year three, we got really kind of stuck in our growth as an organization because that foundation was never built, right? You know, even though it was a nonprofit, it, nonprofits are still businesses and you still have to make money. Right. <laughs> the only difference is where that money goes and how it's being used. And so there was no uh, strategic plan. There was no board in place. It was just, everything was kind of just like, go, 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 going. And I kind of had to take a step back and, and pause and kind of pivot until things were a little bit more structured. And I had to learn everything on my own. I read all the business books in, in the world. I think, I mean, not all of them, but you know, a lot of them, especially the ones targeted towards millennial women, like the girl boss, the girl code, all of those.
those and then the classics like start with why um, and things like that and I just felt like some of those books were really good some of them were just not really what I was looking for and for me in particular it was really hard for me to connect with these authors because I had nothing in common with with any of them you know most of these authors are already wealthy or come from some kind of position of of power or privilege or, or wealth and I don't connect with any of those things so I just felt like at that time which was in 2018 2019 that someone like me should write a book like this um to kind of show people how to not make all the mistakes that I made when you're building your business foundation um and so I kind of came up with the idea back then um, and I started to write a proposal and started to look for agents because I thought that's what one does um, when you want to write a book I got a lot of rejections because they were saying it was too niche because I wanted to target it towards a, not just a woman experience experience as a woman in a male-dominated field but also as a Latina because if you look at how many Latinas or or Black women or Asian women have written books in the nonfiction, specifically career and business categories, there aren't really many. And so I really wanted it to come from that kind of angle and that kind of perspective, especially since it's such a huge part of my identity. And people didn't like that. Publishers were were not about it. Um, They said it was too niche. And so I tabled to the project. I kind of got things back together nonprofit things were going well we did our first South by Southwest show it was amazing and then of course COVID hit and derailed everything at that point in time I had just connected with uh, Maribet who was the founder of the Mujerista which is a really large digital publication for Latinas it was when I had just moved to South Florida and she hired me to help her build her community which was at first in a co-working space in Miami but then when COVID hit, we switched everything to online. And kind of through that experience, I met so many other Latina entrepreneurs and realized the need for this project and this book. So I started working with them as their coach and, and consultant and started helping so many of them launch and grow their own projects. You know, but prior to that, I coached a lot, but mainly creatives. Um, and the shift from creative musician or creative writer to working with entrepreneurs who are building businesses I think people get confused and they're like oh well how did you make the shift from music to entrepreneurship it's really not that different when you think about it because you have to when you the moment you decide to be a creative the moment you're deciding to start a business it's it's the same thing if you want to start a podcast right I'm sure you guys have already realized but um, during this process I just kind of uh, it just kind of hit me again how important this book would be and then by some magic fate of the universe I accidentally met my editor um, for my now publisher um, by accident really I was doing a project for the Mujerista and we were emailing each other I had no idea who she was I thought she just ran the social media for the publisher and then in one email she was like hey like I really like your vibe are you working on a book and I was just like oh okay I guess guess it's guess it's happening and so I worked on my proposal and and here we are and the book has been out for five months now and I am still processing everything that is happening and I'm sorry that was a really long-winded explanation no it was a beautiful answer here but but that's that's 
that's it. That's how it happened. <laughs> and that's just the universe telling you that the universe needed the book. Because right. like, I mean, how does that fall into your lap if that's not like somebody up there pulling some strings exactly. saying like this, this book needs to happen? Yeah, exactly. And I love that you learned from your mistakes and then put it into the book. I think that's what's so beautiful about it because oftentimes you hear people who are so successful, you know, writing a book, but like you said, they had some privileged or they knew somebody or they were somebody's kid when they write the book. And it's like, yeah, it's so easy for you to tell me the path to success because you had this leg up, but it's so much more meaningful when you can say like, I walked through these steps and here's where I screwed up and let me help you not screw up. Yeah, and I, I think the, the book is unique in, in a lot of ways, but in that way, because it really is, the content inside is really is a combination of learnings from my mistakes, but also proven strategies that have worked with clients that I worked with while, while writing the book. So there are real case studies in there from conversations that actually took place while I was writing, where there were so many times that I thought, oh, like I'm done with writing this chapter. And then I'd hop on a client call and then hop off and be like, wait, no, I have to add this to this chapter because that's super important and something that everybody goes through and I need to put it in there. Um, or something great happened with this client, I need to put it in the book so people can see what worked for them. Um, there were so many things like that that just kind of made its way in there. And, and I'm really glad that it did. I love how practical your, the, your writing is, as well as um, even the graphic content that helps outline strategies in terms of formulating a mission behind an organization or business or even thinking about you know market research and the customers that one has in mind but I also love uh, the table of contents in particular I, I love that you chose headings that touch on like I guess generational phrases that we've heard <laughs> I mean I guess coming from a <laughs> Mexican and Puerto Rican background like some of these things I definitely have remember or recognize and I just kind of laughed in reading through your book because you know I feel like conversations about breaking generational trauma or trying to process things of that sort we try and move past certain things that um, have been like ingrained in our brains but you are celebrating, uh, you know, like si se puede, that's one thing, or ponte, ponte las pilas, like these things that have deeper meaning in developing ourselves as individuals, as entrepreneurs. So how, how did you decide on such salient points for not only the table of contents, but for the whole book? Yeah, I mean, like I said, this book was was a work in progress like basically until it was printed <laughs> like I could just kept I had a general outline that I sent a proposal but as I had more and more conversations and did market research you know I kind of kind of wrote Kifun training much like I was starting a business for Kifun training um, yeah. I did the market research I talked to many entrepreneurs and just because I'm a coaching consultant I wrote about the things that people were actually facing while I was writing the book and thought back on my own experiences. And, you know, the decision to make it in, in Spanglish was a very conscious and intentional one because for me, Spanglish, especially since I spent a bit of time in Miami, when I was writing the book, I was living in a little bit outside of Miami, you know, Spanglish is a way of life, right? And it's Spanglish or nada over there. Um, everywhere you go, they speak to you in Spanglish. And so it, it's a very natural way for us to communicate for a lot of us. 
um, for a lot of us first gen or, or immigrants living here in the States. And I really wanted the book to feel like home in a way mm. for people um, because business can be a really, really scary and overwhelming thing, especially when we start talking about finance and legal stuff and, you know, all that. And like, I just wanted to approach it in a way that seemed almost familiar for some people. And I hope that that's kind of the vibe you get when you first open up the table of contents. Um, because I, I thought that if I did that, you know, people would read the back and be like, oh, okay, this looks interesting. And then open up to the table of contents and be like, oh, okay, this kind of looks fun, not scary. And it seems familiar. And I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to write a textbook, you know, yeah. you know, writing a book is, it's hard in itself, but writing a book that you are teaching people things, it's a completely different ballpark. And for me as a coach and consultant, because I have these conversations with people every day, um, and I had the chance to get immediate feedback from them if they don't understand something, if they need more examples, and things like that. Like for me, it was very unnatural to write all these things that I tell people, but then not get responses back from people immediately because they're not in front of me. They're reading the book. Um, so I had to think of ways, which is why I made it a workbook, to engage people while they're reading and not make it like some boring book, you know, that you would just kind of skip through a few pages and then read the rest. I really wanted it to be interactive and for people to be able to put everything that they're learning into practice because that's how I learn. I'm a visual learner. If I don't write things down, they don't process up here, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I wanted it to be interactive. I wanted it to feel relatable and also like you're having a conversation with someone because that's that's me. That's who I am and that's how it is if you work with me on a one-on-one -on -one basis so I, I I'm really happy to hear you say all those things Alejandra <laughs> I love what you said about how it's really not that different working with people in the music industry versus working with entrepreneurs because that's something that we talk about often on the podcast because all of the hosts of damsels are artists and one of the things we talk about and specifically for me I say that my career didn't have the success that it had up until I started seeing myself as a business and stopped just seeing myself as the talent. Because I think like up before that, I, you know, was just like, oh, I'm an actor. I don't need to network. I don't need to reach out to people on LinkedIn. I don't need to, um, you know, start seeing myself as something that's aiding somebody's project. I'm just begging to be in your project. And I think that that's so true that whatever career path you're in, it's something that people can benefit from, which, you know, makes me really bump up against the feedback that you were getting about the book being niche. Because to me, it's something that if it's so conversational and so many people can learn from it, then truly everybody needs it. And one of the questions I had for you is do you have any advice for artists who need to start seeing themselves as entrepreneurs and how do you recommend people to make that mindset shift I I think that what a lot of artists don't realize is that they're already doing that mm -hmm. they just don't see it that way every time you write an email to a venue asking them if you can play there you are acting as a business you are pitching yourself that is a very, very, very important skill to have for any kind of business, to know how to talk about what you're doing and ask for what you want in a professional way. Like 
That's it. You're already doing it. You just have to make that shift and start seeing yourself as, do you want to just play music for fun or do you actually want it to be what you do for a living and you want to make money from that? You are a business and it's hard, but that's why courses exist. That's why coaches exist. That's why this book exists. Um, and the first step is, is making that acknowledgement that like, okay, I, I need to start thinking about things differently and start looking at artists that, um, you know, do this already. And just take a look at the, the mainstream artists that came out with so many different merch art items, like during the pandemic and mm -hmm. how they diversified their revenue streams. Like, Lizzo has a Fabletics line now, guys. <laughs> like, we need to get it together. We, she's diversifying her revenue stream, so so should we, you know? Yeah. Um, my best friend, uh, she goes by Kingsley. She's an indie pop artist in Portland, um, but she's moving to London next month, and I'm very sad. But she's a great example of this, and I'm so proud of her because when the pandemic hit, all her plans to release her album um, got derailed. She ran a fantastic Kickstarter and got it fully funded. And when the pandemic hit and she couldn't actually go record her album in the studio, she pivoted so many times to keep her Kickstarter fans happy. Um, she released just like an unplugged video series of some of the singles, just to like show them like the demos that she was working wow. on. And then she launched a lipstick collection <laughs> with a local small business in town. And, you know, it just kind of, and then she launched bath bombs and all this other stuff. And, you know, it just kind of goes to show you that like the most successful artists are the ones who can adapt and do things differently because sometimes we need to, sometimes we won't have access to music venues and like, you know, knock on wood, another situation happens again where we can't perform in person or we can't do this or we can't do that like we we need to learn to be able to pivot but still do what you know what falls within our line of uh genius our zone of genius and just kind of work with it i really admire yeah. that about what you've described in terms of your early stages of your journey where like that adaptability was required where you were just trying to figure things out and help and like, creating a nonprofit and supporting the artists. I mean, adaptability is like right there because I feel like you got to juggle so many different things uh, when you're learning, when you're figuring things out or, you know, trying to. And I acknowledge that that's hard for people. I think what has helped me is that I'm the farthest thing from a type A person. Me too. Probably in the <laughs> world. And I think a lot of those creatives are, and that's really helpful um to kind of like be like to be able to pivot and adapt because most of us are not entirely perfectionist so if we just wing something like it's probably fine until it's not you know <laughs> um and and we can do that but I think there should be and that's basically how I started my nonprofit is I was just winging everything but that leads me to my next point was there there's got to be some kind of balance for us right totally there's got to be a balance between like just kind of winging everything and seeing what happens and then you know trying to perfect everything all the time like there's got to be a middle ground um yeah. I, 
I will be lying to you if I told you I've completely figured it out at this point in my life. But I think that if we go into it with that mindset, you know, with a little bit of winging it and a little bit of strategic plan, like there's a sweet spot there. And we should just go, go forth with all of our partners with that mindset. There's a book called Grit that talks about how it's not always the most intelligent or the most talented people that succeed, but it's those who are willing to persist and have the drive to keep going and, um, you know, hurdle over those challenges uh, Mm -hmm. that you're facing. So speaking of the challenges, I have a two-prong question for you. One is if you could tell us a little bit about some of the mistakes that you outline in the book that you made that you then learned from to put in the book and two, some of the most common mistakes that you see women make or things that they're afraid of before they're willing to see themselves as entrepreneurs. Ooh, okay. Um, (laughs) So one of the mistakes that I think a lot of us make, especially those who might be first gen, um, is the finance part of it all. Um, You know, we start saying, okay, we have a business. Okay, we have a business. Okay, do we have any kind of budget? Put together do we know what our expenses are do we know how much money we want to be making every month um do we know how to get there um i think all of those things are really important to think about um especially when you're talking about setting prices for things and you know just thinking about how you're going to monetize this um and as artists that can mean so many different right and that goes for any kind of business to service product like you need to know how much your business is costing you every month and you need to know how much money you need to survive personally and professionally you should be paying yourself even if it is a little bit Um, and you should also have some kind of reserve like a business savings account much like um, you have like a personal savings account or you should have a personal savings account Um, In case anything happens, you should also have a business savings account in case for whatever reason you get sick, you can't work that month, whatever, you decide to take vacation because as an entrepreneur, you pay for your own vacation. (laughs) So you need to take all of that into consideration. Um, And it was really important for me to put a finance chapter in the book because talking about finance is uncomfortable. Yeah. When I tell my clients to look at their bank accounts, they're just like, "Mm, no, can we do this next time? And then they'll like wait like a month to like book another session with me. And I'm like, no, no, like the only way we're going to grow is if we know where we're at. And the only way we're going to learn that is by looking at that bank statement and adding all these numbers. Um, And once we get past that, we can really make a plan to increase those numbers Um, or adjust those numbers if we have to. This was something that I think, and why I mentioned it earlier, that a nonprofit is a nonprofit, but it's still a business. Because when I started, I started a nonprofit because up until two years ago, I was afraid of money. I was afraid Mm -hmm. of talking about it. I was afraid of making it. I was, and I know that sounds ridiculous, but I grew up with such a jaded uh, money mindset, which I actually have talked about on a previous podcast. It's the Navit podcast, if you want to look it up. Um, but I basically grew up with this mindset that uh, people that had money were evil because mm. I had an experience at my first job that I was surrounded by wealthy people. And I worked with my mom at the time. And if you look at me, you probably won't guess that I am Latina. My mom is brown. 
and probably the most stereotypical looking Mexican lady that you'll ever see in your life. And so the way that people treated us at my job were was so different. And I saw all these people with money, you know, like making fun of her, like poking at her English, like not tipping because they just didn't care. And then they would see me, young little white girl, you know, like, and they'd be, they'd act so different towards me. And so I just kind of gotten, gotten to this mindset that people with money are awful. And then through a lot of work and analyzing everything and reading some books, I learned that people with money are not evil. And with mon- with the more money you have, the more impact you can create. And once I read that, I realized that the only way to do what I wanted to do in my life was to make money. And so after I was able to come to terms with that, everything changed. Everything changed. Um, and so I think that happens to a lot of us. And that kind of goes into like one of the biggest challenges that I think women and first-gen um, Latinos face is that we think that we don't deserve certain things because maybe, you know, we're first-gen and we just don't know, we don't have the experience, we're not well-connected, we don't have, we don't come from money, or maybe we immigrated here and our English is not perfect and, you know, people look at us weird the truth is that right now is our time. People are starting to pay attention to the new majority. That's why I say I work with the new majority because we're not the minority anymore. Um, And so I think that we need to get over this imposter syndrome that we feel, which easier said than done, right? But something that I write in my book that I say all the time is that The reason we feel imposter syndrome is because there aren't enough people out there doing what we want to do. So if you think about it, by doing what we want to do, we are creating a better place or environment for the future generation of people like us. And (laughs) that's really freaking cool, like if you ask me. And I, it's something that I dealt with while I was writing the book. Um, when we were doing the market research for Hecla, there was no direct competition of books like this, like for Latinas, by Latina, about business. Um, and that was really scary and also really exciting. Um, and the publisher felt that way as well. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I had to take a look at like all these other similar books and similar authors and think well I'm not that different from them but I think I'm more like the people who are going to read this book and that makes me feel really good that I could help other people that grew up like me um and I just kind of had to do my own little like imposter syndrome exercise with (laughs) with myself um and see the potential of what I could do for my community and just kind of run with it and I think that's what all of us need to do when we start feeling weird about things absolutely something that we've learned and I have talked about and Ash too where the the importance of having a strong mission or understanding why something needs to exist having that be the strong foundation for any sort of opportunity 
that you're creating for yourself and for others that always has to be in place in order to solidify the strength of the impact of what we're trying to do, you know, in any effort. And I, I love that that is very consistent and, and very evident in your book. Um, and you even provide another um, workbook element that helps readers practice that or understand that or develop that sort of language within themselves so that they can mm -hmm. deliver that as authentically as possible. But since we've spoken so much about the book, I cannot help but wonder whether the writing process or all of what you're doing entrepreneurially, has that had any significant impact on your dating life? Oh, well, I'm married, so that sounds bad. Well, has it had any effect on your marriage? Or you know, I I will I will say this that my husband and I are very used to being on opposite schedules. He worked overnight um, for a long time, and so we were on opposite schedules for probably five years up until September. But you know, I think. The fact that I also wrote this book during COVID when we were all so separated from each other um, did convert me into more of a workaholic than I already am, which was not good. I actually hit a horrible time of burnout after my book was done. And I think that finding balance is super important. So it didn't affect my dating life, but personally, it did affect my ability to create after writing the book because I just didn't take a break. Like I, and I just realized it a couple of weeks ago because I finally took a three-week vacation. <laughs> Thank you. And I was talking to somebody about it and I wrote a whole ass 40,000 word book and I just kept going. I did not take a break. Like, yeah, I like celebrated for like a day, but I literally just went from writing to approving designs to hardcore pitching and marketing to book tour to continue to work and plan for future things and the second book and this and that, whatever. And I just kept going and going and going until I thought, I was burnt out and then I thought I took a break, but I actually didn't because I kept working on that break. And then I really hit a wall where I just could not think anymore. And now that I've actually taken a break, it feels so good. <laughs> oh, yeah. It feels I, so good. I want to go back to what you were talking about with finances because finances and dating are very hand in hand. And I don't think people, you know, talk about that enough. At least for me, I've definitely also had a weird relationship with money. And I remember when I was first dating, I felt very uncomfortable about the moment where you're splitting the check or who's going to pay. And even now when I like am doing a networking coffee or networking lunch with somebody, that PTSD from that moment still comes up. And I'm curious how you advise your clients like on spending money with dating. I know even I've had family members who said like dating is too expensive for me right now because, you know, you're paying for the match.com, you're paying for the premium membership on whatever app it is. And then if once you're actually out on the dates, if you're somebody who likes to pay for the meal, then you're spending all that money paying for the meal, paying for the drinks, whatever it is. So I'm curious, like if you are somebody who has to budget for this, what's what are ways that you advise your clients on dealing with this? 
once you have that budget set up, you were, you'll feel more comfortable knowing like I do have an extra hundred dollars to spend on outings, but like you have to make it part of your budget. You know what I mean? Like you have to say, okay, well this month I'm going to spend a hundred dollars on networking opportunities. And that could mean a ticket to something or, you know, $25 for a night out at a networking event or whatever. And then once you know what your business costs are, then you can say, okay, well, if I'm making $2,000 a month and my business expenses are $1,500 a month, well, then I have $500 to do whatever I want with. And you just, you just have to know, you know, you can't just be like, see money pop into your account and then be like all right yeah unlimited funds because <laughs> then you get caught off guard and and that's when you start to be like oh wait where did my uh, five hundred dollars go yeah and if you have a client come into you and they're saying like hey I'm paying for two different apps and then when I go on dates let's say they go on five days per month and then total on those dates they're spending let's just for say right? On those five dates. At what point do you say like, hey, where are your priorities? If you're also trying to start this business, what point do you step in to say like, we need to look at how much you're spending on your personal life? Yeah, I, I kind of come in with the mentality of not limiting ourselves to do the things that we want to do, but finding ways to make more money um, to be able to do the things that we want to do. Um, so yeah, sure. Sometimes that doesn't happen immediately. Right. So we might have to adjust our budget for a couple of months, but during those couple of months, we should also be looking at diversifying our revenue streams. You know, Mm. maybe that means adding a service or a product to your business. Maybe that means partnering with someone else's business so that, you know, you can get more clients from them. Maybe it means, I don't know, adding a consulting component uh, if you're a photographer or or whatever, right? I I think that we should adjust numbers when we have to, but we shouldn't say, okay, well, I can never go on more than three days a month again because there are ways to make more money. And I think that's what we need to keep seeing. Not Mm. just like, oh, I can't afford that. I think we can say, that's not within our budget right now, but in three months, it will be because we are adding XYZ services or products to our business. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then it's kind of a motivator also like to get to that point in three months where you are making more money. Yeah. Well, now seems like a reasonable time to jump into our letter that's written this week. Lauren, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's get into it. All right, so we have, hi damsels. I'm hoping with your collective business savvy that you'll be able to help me with a huge hurdle. There were three big sales strategy projects that I had outsourced, but they fell through the cracks. The people were referrals from close friends, but the pace of getting things done was totally unprofessional. A tad OCD here, so I guess it's better this way for now and I can just figure it out myself. It's tough though, because I know this will take away from a huge chunk of already little time I can spare for dating. Lately, dating has been so meaningful with multiple people. I'm not painting the town red every night, but doing a little trial and error with not so much error. So I lied, more than one hurdle, but any guidance would help. 
sincerely, jumping hurdles in mind and heart. <laughs> oh, cute. Um, I've actually got something for this. Um, I think that uh, when we talk about finances and when we talk about being an entrepreneur and we talk about balancing time, I think that uh, there's a part in the finance chapter that talks about also knowing your capacity. So when we start figuring out our pricing um, for whatever services or products that we are doing, we also have to think about how much time we actually have to work on these things, whether that be meeting with clients or actually like if you make candles, how long it takes you to make the candles and pack the candles and things like that. And so one piece of advice I would give this person is to maybe take a look at your capacity and how many hours you want to work each week and adjust your pricing for future projects for this, not thinking about outsourcing, you know, if you were to do everything yourself, um, how much you actually want to be working per week and adjust your pricing accordingly. Like I said, we need to find that balance or else we will burn out and that will not be good for your business or for your dating life. And so just keep that in mind. And when I mean capacity, I mean like actual time and also energy. Um, if you are a coach or a consultant, we know that the time that people are paying for is not just time that we're talking to them. It's also the time that you have to uh, create content or market or do emails. And so, you know, maybe a, if you want to do a 40 hour work week, that means that only 30 hours or 25 hours can be spent actually talking to clients. So like we need to think about, I hope that was helpful. No, it was super helpful. Um, what came to me from this letter was about <laughs> that these referrals were from your friends. Because here's the thing. I think when we get refer referrals from our friends, we assume that our friends are pointing us in the right direction and that they're right. But here's the thing. Your friends are not always right. I mean, I have been burned from working with friends before and they're people that I love, but I just realized that they're not the best business partners. And I think that we can have an amazing relationship, but I'm just not going to trust everything that they advise me going forward. And, you know, it doesn't mean that the places that they referred you were bad, but they might just not be directly correlated with your business. For example, like if somebody referred me to what they think is the best Italian restaurant, maybe I actually like Roman food. I don't like um, California Italian food. So that restaurant could be amazing if that's what you're looking for, but this wasn't what you're looking for. So I think just like, even though they're your friends, take everything with a grain of salt. I loved what Ashley was talking about when she said that she had gotten a lot of no's with have fun training. And then somebody fell into her lap who made it possible for her to make the book what it is today. Right now, it sounds like you're having a lot of success with dating, but you're not allowing yourself to take the time for your dating life because you're so focused on your projects. One thing that I've realized, and I'm working in a partnership right now, where for a while I was holding so tightly to the outcomes of this business relationship because it was something that I was investing in. And lately I've realized, you know what? I can't put all my eggs in this one basket and just hope for the best and hope that it works out. I have to start looking at what else can I be doing other than trusting in this one partnership to make what I want in my career happen. 
So I think if your dating life is going well, give it a little bit more time. I think your career will still be there if you honor something that's going well at this moment and trust that good things can still happen there if it's not where you're putting all your time and energy. And I think the less tightly you can hold on to the outcome, the more success you'll have. Yeah, I'm of the mindset that like balance is key. And just like we had discussed earlier, adaptability is also really important. So I, I'm I'm in the same page as you, Lauren, as far as like making sure this person, you know, honors or enjoys or indulges in what's been going successfully. But at the same time, it's like if these three big projects were super important, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking a little bit of time away from dating and you know, opening the pie chart a little more to those important projects because, you know. I guess it just depends on the timeline that the person is working on and how big of a priority these things mm-hmm. are. Because if they are super important, then, you know. <laughs> what we're saying doesn't matter. Care, yeah. We'll we just uh, focus on that. But, you know, yeah, adaptability and balance, I think, are two big things that I would recommend for this person. Because, yeah, I mean, it's great when dating is going well, but life throws hurdles at us that we can jump over with some grace and luckily with the help of hefa and training the business startup toolkit for entrepreneurial and creative women we have this amazing resource that should help many of our listeners including this one that wrote in today (laughs) i will i will say i i don't consider myself a life coach in any kind of way however this has been a common topic this week with my clients that a lot of uh a lot of times when we're having hurdles in our business, it's also probably a hurdle in our personal life or mm-hmm. vice versa. I think that has a lot to do with just who we are as people and how we handle different situations. Um, and so that might be something to explore further with an actual life coach and or therapist. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes I also think taking that step away from it, sometimes you can have better quality of thought when you're not so immersed on looking for the outcome. Like when I, with this particular project, when I took a step away from it, I feel like I allowed myself to relax. I had a glass of wine. I was reading a book and, you know, the book that I was reading had nothing to do with the project, but because I was relaxing and allowing myself to just focus on enjoying myself, then I felt like I was having all of these thoughts on how can I make this project happen better? because I wasn't just so stressed and tense trying to make it work. So maybe the solution is that you need to get a glass of wine and read Hefa and training. And um, that will allow you to have better insight without just being so caught up in how you're going to make this work. Because I do just think that sometimes like when you're least expecting the insight that you're needing is when it comes when you're not so tense and attached to it working out. Thank you so much, Ashley, for coming on. This has been super eye-opening and to hear your perspective, not only on your journey, but your vision for how you're helping everyone in the community. It's it's truly amazing. But can you share with our listeners how we can keep up with you either on social media or where we can get a copy of your book? 
Yes. So if you, I guess the best place would be my Instagram. Um, it's Ashley K. Stoyano Fogeda. Um, and the link in my bio, you can actually now buy signed copies of Fogeda um, directly from my website um, and learn more about coaching with me. I'm also doing author development sessions now that some of you will will reach out and follow me and buy the book. And thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. We need more people like you doing what you're doing and learning from your mistakes and helping others do the same. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. Ashley's advice was truly, truly remarkable. It was a gem of my week. Oh my goodness. And listeners, if you have any questions about life and dating and anything, we have our DMs open. You can send us a letter and you can even send us a voicemail anonymously. And we are sure to answer any questions, discuss any topics that are percolating in your mind. So keep us in mind, always. (laughs) 100%. And please make sure to visit our link tree. If you want to send your letters anonymously, you can do them via our DMs. You can do them via the Google form and you can do them via Anchor for the voice notes. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. Until next time. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. DMs, DMs, we don't need them. We just leave them. Please. Yeah. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.